Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, 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 welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. So stoked for this week. I know, I've been getting feedback. You're a little bit too bubbly, Matt. You're a little bit too much like a, a bunch of uh, sunshine in a skin suit. What are you doing? Don't you ever have a down day? Yeah, of course I do. I'm an entrepreneur. There's lots of down days. But when I'm sitting here recording this show, hanging out with you all, hanging out with your week, and just being inspired by the visions of the innovators of this world, there's kind of nothing to really be bummed about. This is an exciting time. And I've been thinking a lot this week about my family. And I don't know if you uh, have a family, if you have children, or if you are a child, uh, you know, I have people listening that are 16, 17 years old, you know, fresh entrepreneurs working on the side hustle. Some of you, you know, have, have been there, done that for decades, and you have kids, even grandkids of your own. And one of the questions we get into a lot in business is family, is legacy. It's, you know, my kid, they're like me or they're not like me, right? Like if maybe you're an entrepreneur and is your kid going to be one as they grow up? So this week we're talking all things the teen entrepreneur. And I'm going to define teen, you know, we're going to talk, of course, it'll apply into childhood and younger than that, and obviously older into the, you know, 19, 20, early 20s. But really, it's a conversation today about how do we encourage the younger generation, uh, whether, again, it's nephews and nieces, it's our children, it's it's uh, children at the school that you teach at, whatever it is, how do you pursue the dream if that dream is being an innovator, trailblazer, or entrepreneur? With me today is a very, very dear friend of mine um, that I've known for years now. She is one of the most incredible people that's in this teen space, and I thought this would be perfect because my guest this week, Michelle, speaks to teens on confidence. She's a best-selling author, a TEDx speaker, and a teen confidence expert. Now, you might have caught her on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno or interviewing people like Deepak Chopra or Vincent Fox, the former president of Mexico. ABC TV said Michelle is one of the most successful teen coaches in 2020, and Yahoo Finance named her as one of the top 10 female coaches to follow. She's with organizations like SpaceX, Wells Fargo, Mass Mutual, and even Coca-Cola, and she's coached everyone from mayors of major California cities to celebrities like James Haven, Angelina Jolie's brother, and the everyday mom and dad helping to coach their teens through everything from crisis to triumph. Welcome, Michelle Mehta. How are you, Michelle? Thank you so much, Matt, for having me. I am doing wonderful. What an amazing opportunity to connect with you on your podcast. What a pleasure. Well, look, we're always like any chance to connect with you is always a good thing. You told me that before we were, we uh, we hit record. Any any excuse to hang out with you is fun, and I think the same thing. Um, you you have this infectious energy about you, and I just want to just first ask, are you like this all the time? I mean, I, I've I've seen you on and off stage and on and off camera, but uh, where does this like this positivity come from? Are you just a positive person? Did you have to overcome something? How did you? How are you so dang happy? It seems like. Thank you so much for that warm compliment. I think being positive has been part of my DNA. I grew up in a wonderful family with love, joy, and connection all around. I was the only child growing up for the first two years of my life, which are critical years of any child. And just being 
handled from one arm to another with my uncles and aunts who were still unmarried and had no kids of their own. And I was the only kid. So just being spoiled in love all the time encouraged that. And also my father had a big role in this. He would always say, do your best. That's all I care about. And that's the best that you can do. And so from that comes a lot of positive energy. And that's how I've always been. Thank wow. you. Do you, I love that your dad was because that's hard for some parents to say, right? Is do your do your best. That's all I want from you. Um, what what was it like when you were growing up? I want to kind of start with that. What was the mistake culture like in your family? If someone makes a mistake, if you forget something, if you didn't do your chores, um, it sounds like there was a lot of grace in the family. But is that was that true, or did you? What kind of lessons did you learn about? You know, whether it's authority, family, contribution, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I really, I think growing up was the idea of do your best. That's all you can do. My parents growing up knew that they weren't straight A students. So they had also expected their kids to not be straight A's and not get a straight A's. And so when I had opportunities to fail a class or fail an exam, my parents were like, well, okay, cool. Like that's the best that you could do. What's the, what are the consequences now? What do you need to do next? And the next thing for me was to a, either repeat that class or figure an alternative to get those grades up. So there was a lot of grace in that. And at the same time, the expectation was, you know, that's it. That's, that's all, you know, right. And move from there. Wow. So it wasn't like God, beat I, yourself I mean, up or huh. how come you didn't get a hundred and you only got a 99. It's like, well, if you got a 70, you got a 70. That's all you can do. Do you think that, I mean, certainly I can see the positive side of that, but I think some people listening would be like, well, I want the best for my kid, which means if they came home and got a 70, like, yeah, that maybe that was the best they could do. Maybe it wasn't right. Maybe yeah. they could have studied harder. They could have put more time into it. And like, I, I don't want to be, I have a 10 year old son. I'm sure we'll talk about him quite a bit on this episode because he will be a team before I know it. You know, I don't want to be that dad who thinks that whatever he does is never good enough. I totally get that. But what about the yeah. flip side of it? Um, how do I encourage him? Or did you get encouraged to, well, let's try harder. Do you have more in you? How do you feel like that happened in your household? Yeah, absolutely. I was always indirectly being compared to my cousins that were growing up. Now I'm the oldest. And so having that role model figure always there allowed me to have that expectation. I have to do my best and just let it slide. And when I saw my cousins grow up and they were the honor students, they were taking the advanced placement classes in high school. I couldn't even get into AP, let alone get into honors. And when I got into honors, I failed them just showed that my capacity wasn't there and that my strengths were somewhere else. And even when I went to college, the idea of UCs was not even an option. Like I didn't even apply to the UCs. I just applied to the Cal States because that's what my caliber was. And so it was a lot of acceptance that needed to happen. And the acceptance of, you know, my kids are not going to be straight A's, but their strengths are going to shine somewhere else. And my parents had the idea of they were going to do one thing in college and they ended up shifting and changing their careers midway through. And so they didn't want to instill those ideas upon us. They said, you know, don't listen to what we have to say. Follow your heart and focus on that. Wow. And if your heart says to fail, then that's where you're at. And I, I gave up in seventh grade. I gave up in 10th grade. And I gave up in my third year of college. When I say I gave up means didn't turn in my assignments, didn't study for the exams, literally failed classes. Just gave up. I just gave up. I was tired. I was burnt out. And it forced me to come up with this attitude of, you know what, new year, new me, figure it out again and pick classes that were in alignment with what I wanted to do. 
Wow. So, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there, but w- what I love is it sounds like your family really hit the, the nail on the head. Like it hit that balance of, I'm not going to overly push you and judge you. And, and, you know, and we know each other real well. So I know there's, there's a cultural aspect too, that maybe you can speak to of, um, you have a unique perspective, right. Of your heritage and your culture that your family is from and that you grew up in. And typically what I've seen in friends and, and clients and students that grow up in, whether it's, it's, uh, Indian families, it's, um, Hispanic families, um, a lot of different Asian culture families. I don't think it's any surprise that there's usually a lot of push with the parents, right? A lot of, you have to do this and you have to do what our plan is. Did you run up against any of that with like mom or dad? It doesn't sound like you did. It sounds like they had made a change from maybe the old school cultures. Could you speak to, and then if it wasn't true for you, could you kind of speak to maybe someone who is struggling with that, right? Where mom and dad are coming from an old school culture that isn't the same value as the kid. And, you know, how do we, again, encourage our kids, bring those values, right, that are important to us of working hard, but without having that domineering, um, you know, cultural spirit. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And what I would like to say is that my friends are also Indian. Majority of them are Indian. And a lot of them are also from the Asian culture, which means they're from China, Vietnam, Korea, Japan. And the struggle that I see when I look at them and I look at myself is that their parents were extremely tough. And I see that with my uncles and aunts too, with their kids, you know, like my cousin would be like, you know, I got a 88% on an exam and my mom's like mad at me that I didn't score a 90 or I didn't get a 95. Like, why did I lose? Why did I miss out? What did I do wrong? And I said, you know, you're doing the best that you can at the end of the day, which was a philosophy that my father instilled in my sister and I. And at the end of the day, it's like, there's a reason why I gave up in seventh grade. I just was over. I was over something. I didn't like the teacher that I was had. I didn't like band that I was in. I literally failed band. Like my parents were shocked that I got an F in playing the flute. For flute. Exactly. I literally did that. And in 10th grade, I had the first time ever in my life, I got three honors classes and I literally got a C, D and an F in them. Wow. Because And I was on the tennis team and I had just given up. And I think in seventh grade, I was going through the personal development of getting bullied for giving hugs to people. I grew up in a family that hugs and I love you is common especially because I can go to any of my uncle's house and I automatically become the firstborn, even though they have kids of their own. Now I automatically become the firstborn. And uh, I, can you unpack that for a second? What does it mean in your culture to be the firstborn and how yeah. does that apply kind of in, in everyday life for people? Cause so I, I being, love that concept. And you shared that story with me, but could you share it with everybody? Yeah. The firstborn means my parents came to America in 1980s. I was the first person first girl born outside of India in my family and my extended family living in India told my parents, you're crazy. You're going to raise a daughter outside of India in the westernized culture. And my parents said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And my parents got married in 87 and I was born in 88. And that's when, you know, the, the idea of having a girl outside of India, you're going to, you know, it was confusing was unheard of, especially because westernized culture was the unknown. 
it was, it felt like there was no real value system and there was no family orientedness. It was just very brand new. And my dad was the first one to come and actually settle down in the States. And because of him and his success, he invited all of his extended family members to come and stay. And so all of his cousins came to our house, got their masters, and then went back to India, got married and then settled down over here. And so having that bond where they all came to our house for two to three years, they would literally stay with, we're always a family of, it was a family of three, then it became a family of four and beyond. So it was always somebody living with us permanently. Two guest bedrooms in our house. I love that. What's something you would tell to anyone that grew up in whatever you'd call a quote unquote Western culture out here? Um, What is something that you wish everybody, especially again, we're talking about the entrepreneur track, but really what is that we're talking about? Is there something that's stirring in your heart? Is there, you know, burning a hole in your soul that you have a problem to fix in the world? You want to get out there and create something. And if you're, if you have a kid that excuse me, has that desire, right? They want to get out and do something or you have that desire. Michelle, what's something that you wish every Western culture, quote unquote, family um, could learn or apply that your culture and your family has, has taught you? Absolutely. I love that question. So the first thing that comes to my mind is America, United States. This land is literally the land of opportunity, it is a land of dreams. Anybody and everybody is a nobody till they become a somebody. And that part of the westernized culture is what I absolutely love because I would not have been a teen confidence expert had I been grown up in India. There would just been so much judgment, so much societal pressure. Everybody knows everybody. You're like stuck to this bubble. In America, growing up here, despite of my extended family living super close, we are, I can get 50 people in within five minutes, within a five mile radius. 50 people within five minutes, within a five mile radius. Despite of all of that, I can still be free. I still have the opportunity to grow, go out and live out my dream of being a motivational speaker, which was a dream that I've had since I was 21. And I could not have done that in India, guaranteed, just because of the judgment and the societal pressure. For sure. And what, what and what's something from from your culture that you've brought with you that I guess what I'm thinking is. You know, I feel like we've lost a lot and I'm not just talking about America, right? This isn't a political statement. I think a lot of the westernized cultures, um, like we're more I, not we, right? We're more make your own way um, and you leave your family where a lot of the eastern cultures and some of the older cultures um, is more family oriented as an example. What's something that you like when you look around at friends and people you meet and clients and some of the teens you get to interact with when you speak and you see, you know, the family uh, orientation, what are what's something that you wish that they would be able to apply maybe a little more like what you grew up with? Yeah, absolutely. I think the word love comes to me. Love means not just to say I love you, but really showing the unconditional love towards somebody. When I was in seventh grade, I would tell all my friends I love them and I'd give them hugs. It was not until my senior year of high school that I saw them at a random restaurant and I found out that all of those friends that I used to hang out in middle school, their parents were divorced. And my parents were the only ones that were together. Oh, wow. And that was an eye opener for me because of the fact that my parents are 33 years married and going on to 34 and they still love each other because that's what they know. They know to stick it through. They know to work it out. And I even asked my mom, I was like, when are you getting a divorce? And she looked at me like I was crazy. She was, where did that idea even come from? Because I thought, oh, everybody has to go through that. All my friends are doing it. I'm waiting for mine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So 
my theory about love is that when a newborn baby is there, the unconditional love is there. You don't judge the baby for crying. You don't judge the baby for pooping. You don't judge the baby for vomiting. But the moment this child starts growing up and they start speaking back, hi, hello, how are you? Why questions? All of a sudden that unconditional love becomes conditional because of the expectations. And the moment the expectations are set, that's when a lot of things can go haywire because the parents then start expecting their kids to know something when they've never been taught it or they've never been explained to. And they start treating their kids like they're adults when they still have their own curiosity bubble to go through. So conditional love is what is needed more so than ever. And with that comes lack of don't make any judgments, having the lack of judgments, having the ability to be curious as to why someone's stating what they're stating. Michelle, I'm feeling so convicted. (laughs) (laughs) You said don't treat him like an adult. I realized, man, as my son's gotten older, in fairness, I think it's like I'm trying to be the good dad, right? Where I treat him with respect and, but also more responsibility. But there's, yeah, there's a piece where it's like, man, what happened? Do I always, and I always love him, but do I always show him that I love him no matter what? I think that that'll be an interesting thing to, that I'll probably be walking out for the rest of my life. Um, when, if I see in my son, and this is, this is kind of what uh, the heart of this, this uh, episode that I really want to get to you with. If a parent out there, and let's put me as an example, I'm an entrepreneur. If you're listening to this, you're probably an entrepreneur of some kind, some level. It's to me, I think it's natural that, you know, I'm going to try to see myself with my kid, right? It's like when, when your kid's born, you know, we're looking at the little baby face going, oh, who does it look like, right? Does he look like me? Does it look like mom? And I don't think that stops. You know, I feel like we're always, my wife Lola and I, we're always looking at him and going, oh, what's his personality becoming like? And, oh, that thing he does is like me, and that thing is like you, and which Enneagram is he like? And, you know, careful not to box him. But the point is, we're always looking for what is he like. And sometimes, let's say uh, I, I have a, I see my kid grow up, and it seems like, hey, maybe he wants to be an entrepreneur. Maybe there's this problem he wants to solve. Maybe there's a vision he has. I guess first is if we see that in our kids, especially whether or not we have that as a background, but if you see that entrepreneurness in a kid, especially as they grow up, you know, get into the teen years, what's your advice for how to encourage them in that thing? Because I think a lot of times this entrepreneurship, it's not traditional. It might not be college right away or the same kind of college that you went to. Um, you know, our kids might have something different than we did. So what advice do you have for, for parents that their kid is growing up saying, hey, mom, dad, I see a problem I want to solve. I want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, encourage them. Instead of just saying, shutting it down and saying your idea sucks or you shouldn't worry about that right now, focus on school. Encourage them by asking them powerful questions. And when I mean by powerful questions, these are questions that are open-ended and that are with who, what, when, where, and how. Don't really focus on the why, because when you ask the why question, it puts a person into a justification and they become defensive. And then you get stuck with the wall. Tell me a little more about that. What's an example of a why question that I want to avoid? Yeah, absolutely. So if your son wants to be an entrepreneur, why do you want to be an entrepreneur, right? All of a sudden, you can ask them that initial question, allow them to speak. Right. But then when you they say something like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur because I want to save the world, you can say, again, why do they want to save the world? So if you want to, the only reason why you would use a why question in this perspective is to get deeper into the purpose of it. However, if they say something like, 
you know, they're upset about something. They say, why are you upset? Well, I have every right to be upset because, right? It's almost like you're attacking them. So as long as your why question is coming from a place of curiosity and less of an attack, you're going to be fine. But a lot of people just go with that why question. Well, why, 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 why? And you're going to hit a wall, especially when the child has a brand new idea that they're also exploring themselves. I love that. So, and I'm going to use this. So you can ask why, like once it sounds like, like, oh, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? But, you know, I even see it again. He's only, that was only 10, but at 10 years old, it's like sometimes there's, there's a desire in his heart that he doesn't quite know why he just knows it's there. So he might work up the courage to say, oh, I think I want to do this dad. And if I'm like, well, why do you want to do that? Explain your motives. <laughs> you know, it's kind of grilling him. And he's like, well, I, I, like, I don't know yet. So instead of saying why, what are some examples of, you said like a how, uh, a what, questions like that? What, what are, yes. how, how can I talk to him differently? Yes. So at that moment, you would say, well, if you want to change the world, how would you change the world? What would you do when you change the world? What impact are you going to make when you change the world? When do you plan on changing the world? Allowing them to spike their curiosity and allowing them to help them unravel what their idea is. Just because they have an idea doesn't mean they've figured it all out. Dude, that's so good. I especially love, um, yeah, even, even when. It's like, oh, cool. Like, when do you think you'd want to? It sounds like what you're really saying is you, you approach the next generation with curiosity rather than judgment. Right, you're coming yes. with curiosity. Well, yeah. So when would you? Do you think you do that before college, after college? Would you? Would you start now, or when? When do you? When do you think? Not, hey, that's a great idea, son, but get your head out of the clouds. Or, yeah, you can do that, but not till you're finished with school. And I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen this. The amount of kids that are, and again, this is not a knock on college. I think depending on your career and your desires and your goals and your strategy. A lot of different university or state schools make a ton of sense, but it doesn't always make sense. It's not the right path for every career choice. That's 100% certain too. So I'll bet you've seen how many kids that are going to college freshman, sophomore year and still have no idea why they're there. And it's like, why are you here? Well, my parents are making me or my parents said I have to. Have you run into that a lot in your speaking? Absolutely, all the time. When I say all the time, literally all the time, because a lot of people, especially in the Asian culture, a lot of people oh. are, especially in the doctor's world, it's like a lot of my friends are doctors and they're studying to become doctors. And I've always asked them like, what made you go down this medical route? Oh, because my parents said so, or because I know that's the only thing I can do. Wow. And when that happens is that now they go back and they say, you know, I wish I had never done it. I wish yeah, I the had only done thing I can do is I can, the only thing I can do is get 200 grand in student loans and build a career that I don't actually have any passion for. That's the only choice. It's like, that, yes. that's a lot of work for something you don't even want to do. Exactly. So that's where a lot of failure happens because the kids have shut off themselves and have followed the path that their parents have set them to do. Parents, I hope you're listening to this right now. Listen to Michelle. Look, encourage your kids, you know, and nephews and nieces and, and, you know, young people that you meet that you're close with and the friends and family or your neighborhood, like encourage them, you know, to do good things. But, but what do you encourage them to do? Do you encourage them to follow? And it sounds so ethereal, doesn't it, Michelle? Like follow your dreams. It's not follow your heart because you know what? 
my 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 parents generation they had the i want to follow my heart and what that meant was i want to be a hippie in the 60s and do drugs and have free sex and not get married and not go to school and down with the system and that's not what we're talking about right we don't have to worry about the old generation stuff follow your heart can be a real pragmatic plan it's like what's in my heart right now i love animals okay great well let's explore that like do you want to help and heal them when they're hurt do you want to uh, study them and teach people about them? Do you want to care for them? And all of a sudden now it's like, are you a wildlife biologist? Are you a zoologist? Are you a veterinarian? And you have these tracks where you can follow your heart, but you can go down a practical skill set of what you want to do, you know? And now you know, do I need school in my future? Do I not need school? Does the degree even matter which school I go to? Well, it depends, right? If I want to go into a certain kind of law, maybe I do need to go to Harvard for the best chances and be in the top 1%. But there's a really good chance that it might not even matter which school I go to. What advice do you give, and this is a hard one, but what advice do you give, Michelle, to, again, teens and, and early 20s that are maybe find themselves living someone else's dream, going down a path that their parents or quote-unquote society set, and they have an epiphany, they realize this is not for me. And they maybe they feel stuck. Maybe they're not sure how to make the change or if it's too late. Do you have any advice for someone in that scenario? Yes, absolutely. I say it's never too late because you wake up when you want to wake up, right? Mm -hmm. So when the idea comes up, that's when you should take action. That's good. The fact of taking no action is actually more painful than taking an action. So if you have an intuition hit, if you feel like something is not in alignment with what you want to do, explore your options. One of the things I love about United States of America and across the 50 states is that every college offers options. They offer massive amount of degrees. In India, I remember when my parents were going to college, they had three choices. It was either arts, science, and commerce, which is business. So either you have an arts degree, a science degree, and a business degree. And those were your three options. Here, we have all of those different variations of it. You got almost too much of it. I mean, you can get a, a six-year degree in underwater basket weaving if you really wanted to. <laughs> exactly. And the there's no real judgment here because there are people that are in their 70s getting a master's degree. There are people in their 40s getting their first degree, their bachelor's degree. So, And there are people in their 50s getting a PhD. So this country allows us to have the opportunity to literally make our dreams a reality. So given where we live, given where we're at, the opportunities are endless. It's up to you what you decide to do with it, and which is why it's understanding your value system. Just because I come from a family-oriented background, my values consist of honesty, integrity, courageous, and vulnerability. Vulnerability is frowned upon in my culture. Don't tell people how you feel. Don't right, cry in right. front of others. You're emotionally weak. Why do you shed your tears so much? People are going to take advantage of you. So being vulnerable is equated to being weak and exactly. being and, and being unsafe is what it sounds like too, right? Exactly. And it wasn't until I became a coach and realized that vulnerability is actually one of my greatest strengths. And the fact that I can cry and showcase my emotions is another greatest strength of mine, which allows me to be the team confidence expert and allows me to fulfill a TEDx talk during the pandemic. Yeah, that was incredible. Tell us a quick story about that. Uh, you you did a phenomenal, what was the TEDx, what was the TED talk about? Um, and how, I mean, that's incredible. How did you 
get picked into a TEDx talk in the middle of a pandemic? I always had a dream of being a motivational speaker. I remember telling my dad when I was 20 years old, I said, dad, I want to be a motivational speaker. He's like, oh yeah, go ahead and go into sales. That's where the money is at. There's no money in motivational speaking. I knew I had no fear of public speaking since I was 15 years old because I did a presentation in front of 150 people for the first time and I did a PowerPoint and people loved my confidence on that stage. So I knew there was something there with public speaking. Last Fast forward in 2019, I'm attending this conference and I share a message in front of 40 people. And the organizer said, where do you see herself? Where do you see her speak? And people said TEDx, TED Talk. I said, I can't get on a TED stage. Are you kidding me? I'm not even like, I'm a nobody. I'm not like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Michael Jordan or celebrities like that. I'm a nobody. And it wasn't until I joined Matt Browning's speaker training where the opportunity came to apply and be a part of a talk accelerator program hosted by Adam Lewis Walker. And I signed up and I followed the system and I applied. And on the first round of auditions, I got accepted because my topic was about the adversity quotient and how to overcome evil thoughts. Particularly oh, I love for that. Teenagers. Is that the title? The adversity quotient, how to overcome evil thoughts? That is the title. What a dang good title. Thank you. And how amazing to plug such great programs by yours truly. <laughs> but we're not, we're not here to plug my speaker program. We're here to plug you and the great work you're doing with teens, with families, and building more confidence. That's incredible. And, and what's great is, you know, I saw your TED Talk. Um, it was actually a self-film, so nobody was gathering live at the time. What I love is you're like, who cares? That didn't stop me. Like, I'm doing my TED Talk anyway because that's my dream. And I think we can learn a lot from the way you have chased after your dreams in the last year. You have now been a guest expert on television. You've given a TEDx talk. You're booked to speak at the U.S. Air Force Academy later in the year to speak on leadership for teens. You are, like, just knocking off these amazing experiences. And this isn't a boastful thing. Like, you know, I, you wouldn't brag on you, but I want to brag on you. Um, I think what we should be hearing there is listen if you're listening you have a obviously you're listening to this but if you have a dream inside you if you have something that you would love to have achieved if you have a message you want to share ain't nothing going to stop you but you and and this is coming from here's a woman who said there's a global pandemic and nobody's meeting live in person great i'm not going to let coronavirus stop me from delivering my tedx talk because that's my dream and I think that is the principle right there. It might not look like you expect it to look. It might not have the red dot and you know the certain audience size or whatever. You got to do it and you didn't let anything stop you. And I just think it's so important. And that's the, that's the message I want my son to hear, that whatever you want in your heart, you go after and you get it. Um, what is a message you want to share? What's something you want the next generation to hear and learn or believe? Yes, absolutely. And I'm also going to mention my TV segment was also done during the pandemic. So the pandemic did not stop me in achieving my goal. If anything, it accelerated it, didn't it? It accelerated it 100%. Because you didn't have to fly anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to fly anywhere. And it wasn't even about on-site location versus off-site or online versus in-person. It was about, I am doing this because I want to do it. It was that conviction that I had in my heart. My dream was to be a motivational speaker. That dream did not just come from somewhere. It came from who I was meant to be. I didn't come to become a coach just because. It was something that landed and I took the opportunity. 
one of my things I love to say, and especially I wrote in my book, the first book I co-authored, also co-authored two books during the pandemic, um, was about always keep your eyes, ears, and heart open because you never know what opportunity is going to knock on your door. And just do it no matter what. Love that. Hey, Michelle, as we kind of wind down here, let's let's flip the script a little bit. Um, I know one of the one of the things that I've heard over the years in my coaching practice, both personally and professionally, is you know my teen has so much potential. And again, maybe it's mom or dad or both are successful and making waves. And you know maybe you're a big name. Maybe you're you know you run a business with lots of team members. And and as you're you're out there making your own way and becoming successful. And then you look at your kid and go, oh, there's so much potential, but they're lazy, or at least how you see it, right? They're lazy. They're always playing video games. They don't have any get up and go. They're not motivated. Um, couple of questions in that. How do we treat our kid? Um, how do we need to change how we perceive that? And what can we do to help our teen while still unconditionally loving? Absolutely. I love that. I felt like you were repeating my life story because that's what happens with me frequently with my parents, my parents will tell me, Oh, you are so lazy because you're sleeping all the time. Or that's when I get yelled at all the time for is like you sleep in so much. And they don't realize that because I'm out in a creative space, I'm creating my own content, that when I take a nap, or when I'm resting, that's when ideas bloom for me. So instead of asking them and coming from that judgment of they're being so lazy, ask them what happens when you play these games? Did you get inspiration? What kind of inspiration do you get? What is the reason of you behind taking all those naps? And when you come from that questionnaire, when you come from those powerful questions, you open up. I wish my parents would ask me, why do you sleep so much? Because the only way that I could deliver content is if I sleep and I can dream about the ideas that I want to make. So Dude, for me, incredible. it's resting. So sleeping is actually resting and coming from a place of rest so you can be more creative. But again, you know what I keep hearing in your answers, Michelle, is the biggest principle is quit judging your kids and start getting curious about your kids. You know, yes. oh, they play that, you know, I hear this so much in seminars, they play that dang video game so much. They're always on Fortnite or Minecraft or, you know, whatever the game is. But that same parent who's like, they're always on that game. How do I get them off the game? They don't even understand the game. You know, I know how my kids' games work because I've asked him to teach me. And again, I'm not judging parents who don't play video games. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I take your thought, Michelle. I want to get curious and go, well, tell me, how, how does that work? I played Minecraft with Val, and I hate the game, but I've played it, and we jump on Xbox, and we play together, and he's teaching me stuff, and we're building things together, and all of a sudden, it's like, it's bonding time. So I don't treat it as how do I get him to get off that dumb game? It's like there's times when he's, you know, times when he's off and, you know, we're responsible in life, right? But again, it's it's the principle of I want to get curious and all of a sudden let me dive into your world, right? Not you got to get out of this silly fantasy world and come into my real world and go work at the bakery, darn it. How do I get curious about his world, about her world? Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. That is one of my core values is curiosity. Because when you come from a place of curiosity, you release the judgment. One of my voices in my head is Curious George. That <laughs> monkey is freaking in places it should not be in. That monkey goes into places it should not be playing with. Yet, it's there and there's a whole show about it. If you 
Watch Curious George just for the monkey perspective, just the George's perspective. Life is so much more happier because the judgment of that weight is gone. I wonder what's in that corner. I wonder what's over here. I wonder what she's thinking. I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder why they're so stressed today. That's so good. We used to watch so much Curious George. I miss it. I wish uh, we, I watched the Halloween George. He, he called it Boo George. I think it was like the Boo Halloween George, Curious George special. We watched that like multiple times a month. It was his favorite thing. Um, but if we can remember as parents, especially as entrepreneurial parents, that our kids are not the same as us. You know, our kids aren't the same as us. And you could be an engineer that has a stable job that works for a company for 40 years and you have a kid who's 20 or shoot 16 or 13 selling sneakers online and reselling on a side hustle making two grand a month and you have no idea how the whole world works michelle's advice and my advice to you is dive into their world and ask get curious about it have them teach you about it learn about it and you know i, I think that's so phenomenal and michelle you're saying the same thing that in reverse is if you feel like they're they're being lazy, they're not being motivated. Um, again, that's a big problem that a lot of parents see. Um, and I know you have you have a, a, a system you set up. You have a, a really cool gift that I think you guys should all check this out. Michelle has it available on her website. It's michellemeta.com, and that is M-E-H-T-A. Meta, M-E-H-T-A, michellemeta.com. And your gift is you have a, a free Motivate Your Teen Success Guide. Tell me a little bit about that and what do we find in the guide? Yes, absolutely. This is 10 secrets to help any teen feel motivated and their strategies on having conversations. There's even a formula that I've talked about, which is the E plus R equals the O, which is a Jack Canfield formula. You know, the event and the experience is going to be constant. Your reaction is what's going to determine the outcome. So really pay attention to how you react to the information that's being provided to you. Can you that say could, that one more time, that formula? I want to make sure we catch that. Yeah. That more it, profound than, than just a one-liner. <laughs> <laughs> the formula is E as an elephant plus R as in rodeo equals O as an octopus. So it's E plus R equals O. E is for the event or the experience. That is constant. That is something that we hear, we see, we feel plus the R, which is your reaction towards the event or the experience. So how you react, you could be angry, you could feel happy, you could feel joyful, you could be frustrated. That reaction comes from your emotions. And then that how you react to your emotions is going to determine the outcome. It's how you're going to feel about the entire thing. Got so it. for so example. Yeah, I mean, what we're saying is, it's not just the event that happens. Like this thing happened and now I, it sucks. It's the event plus your reaction equals the actual outcome. Yes. And you can't control the event, but you can control the reaction, right? Yes. So, and when the event is, for example, your child is sleeping in the oddest hours of the day, <laughs> you make the, you make your reaction of, oh my God, my son or daughter is so lazy. Now the outcome is negative because you've associated sleeping equals lazy equals negative. Right. Person, the event is, oh, my child is sleeping. My reaction is, oh, I wonder what's really going on. Maybe just listen to a meditation that put them to sleep. So your reaction comes from a place of curiosity. I wonder. And then your outcome becomes more positive because you're coming from a place of wondering 
versus a place of judgment. Man, that's outstanding. So outstanding. This is awesome. So this is all stuff that's in your Motivate Your Teen Success Guide. So listen, if, if you, again, whether you have an entrepreneurial team and you want a teen and you want to encourage them, or you have a teen that you feel like maybe is struggling with something or is not seeing the hope, the vision for their future, check out what Michelle has, the Motivate Your Teen Success Guide, 10 principles, 10 tricks, not tricks, I guess, but 10 principles and ways to help motivate your teen for the life that they deserve, help them vision their, uh, their dream. I don't think much is gets me more fired up. You can hear I'm probably fired up this whole hour is I want our teens, I want our next generation to have every resource and to crush it. I know, Michelle, you have that strong desire as well. Um, final thoughts as we, as we wind down here. Um, what do you want every teen entrepreneur out there to know? Well, if I have to do just one final thought, I would say, listen to your heart. Most importantly, if your heart says that I want to be an artist, fulfill that because there are going to be voices in your head that's going to tell you otherwise. And the voices are logic. People buy with emotions, which live in your heart. So always feel with what you want to do. Feel it out first. Test it out with your heart. Then invite the logic to play. We always buy clothes that make us feel good. We always buy a car that makes us feel happy and feel more powerful, whatever that is. We buy with feelings. So what values are you honoring when you decide your career, when you decide your dreams? your goals, your intentions, what makes you feel good? What makes you feel happy? Follow that and do not worry about what the world says. If I had listened to my world, I would not be here where I am today. I got so many no sayers, naysayers in January of 2020. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's not going to work out. It's a pandemic. We're going to get into a great depression, recession, blah, blah, blah. Everyone just freeze up. Stop doing things. Don't breathe. And all I did was thank you. Just rock so yourself in a corner. And it feels like that sometimes in the world, right? The world's coming to a stop. I can't do anything but rock in a corner on the couch and, and just be scared. And it's like, no, I can choose to watch the news or I can choose to create positive news. And you are definitely one of the creators. And I thank you for that. Thanks for coming on, Michelle, and just sharing your heart uh, and your stories and your wisdom. Uh, you are awesome. And I am excited for every single teen and every single family that gets to um, come across you in your presentations at schools on podcasts. And, and I'm just, I think there's nothing but nothing but all the way up for you. Thank you so much, Matt, for having me. It was a pleasure connecting with you. I really, really appreciate this opportunity. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Michelle. Hey, that's the show for this week, Driven Entrepreneur. Thank you for listening, tuning in. Sure appreciate you. Before you go anywhere, remember, um, follow Michelle Mehta. She, uh, you know, if, if you like her vibe and, and how she does things, you can follow her on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. It's I am Michelle Mehta. I am Michelle Mehta. And again, her last name is Mehta, M-E-H-T-A. I am Michelle Mehta. Facebook and Instagram. And then check out michellemeta.com. Get your free Motivate Your Teen Success Guide. Hey, I have links to everything for Michelle and all of our stuff as well in the show notes on this radio show on demand. So anywhere where you get podcasts, you can also get the Driven Entrepreneur the next day. Every Friday an episode drops. Looking forward to checking out the archives with you. Feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. Love those five-star ratings. I want to hear from you. I even love the one-stars. I want to hear if you think I'm an absolute Muppet and I should... Uh, be drug out in the street and beat up. You let me know that because your opinion really matters to me. 
well, the five stars matter to me. If you don't like me enough to do a one star, I probably don't like you either. And that's fair because, well, it's all good. Love so much to y'all. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week with another Driven Entrepreneur. Bye-bye.